Welcome. It's uh, Bishop Daly, the seventh bishop of the Diocese of Spokane, and joining me are our three vicars, Father Brian Mee, the vicar for finance, pastor of St. Augustine's Parish, Father Pat Kirst, the vicar for priests, pastor of St. Thomas More and St. Patrick's Parish, and Father Connell, Darren Connell, the vicar general and the rector of Our Lady Lord's Cathedral, the mother church of the Diocese of Spokane. Notwithstanding all threats, we're still here. That's right. We like to speak in this month of November about uh, the Feast of All Souls, an opportunity when we pray for our faithful departed. And maybe some history of this um, this day, uh, some of the objections that we hear from those of other religions who don't understand why we pray for the dead may be rooted in, in Scripture. Talk about uh, heaven, hell, purgatory, which is still a teaching of our faith, and the particular judgment, the last judgment. And... Uh, Maybe we'll begin with uh, Father Me as you bring us always with a sense of history. With a sense uh, of humor. And a humor, yes. Usually and revised history. But... Yes, very much the revised history. History always is revised. <laughs> well, what part of history do you think? Well, well <laughs> the history of death. Well, when did death start? Death, no. death began soon after life. Uh, after uh, Adam and Eve. No, this is a softball because uh, the Feast of All Souls was a has its roots in, in uh, Benedictine tradition, correct? No. Oh, it okay. wasn't. Well, I thought you wanted the scripture first. Oh, well, no. I said the feast. Oh, the, the feast. feast. Oh, well, anyway, but I mean, where where do we get the idea that we should pray for the dead? Well, you know, in the Apocrypha, you might be familiar with that. So there are these books oh, of the Bible that we, we accept as inspired word of God. Yes, yeah, it's not Apocrypha. Yeah, we don't call them Apocrypha. No, That's not Apocrypha. What do you call it? Deuterocanonical. Mm. Just... Book Don't forget the you study. Anyway, yeah. In the, yeah. In the, anyway, in the in the book of Maccabees, which book? which Catholics accept second as inspired word of the second book of Maccabees, two Maccabees, which walk into a bar. It, there's that wonderful line of of uh, because praying for the dead is a good and noble thing, and he d- would not have done this if he didn't have the resurrection of the dead in view. A remarkable statement, uh, a couple hundred years before the coming of Christ to the world. It, you know, what's his name? Who's the actor who's always in trouble? Sid Caesar? Pick one. No, right now, I guess all of them. <laughs> yeah, I was no, say. no, 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 no. The, um, Harvey, Harvey Weinstein. Uh, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Oh, yes. He at one point wanted to do, and he was going to do. Don Knotts. No, a movie on uh, the Maccabees. And I always wish he would. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that's something in the back of his mind, but. Would that, would be, that would be a great one. It would help. Well, if you made your ACA goal, maybe we can have a small movie production studio. It'd be very small. Yes. Very small. So anyway, yes, that's the scriptural foundation there. But as Father um, Connell uh, brought out, it's also, it's actually a Benedictine feast, or it began as a Benedictine feast beginning in the 6th century already. Benedictines were remembering their dead um, and praying for those who had gone before them. And then it was a great Saint Odolo, the abbot of Cluny in the 11th century, who um, began to celebrate the Feast of All Souls. And there's a story behind that, but we'll skip that because there's not time for all of that. But anyway, so uh, all of the monasteries connected with Cluny began to celebrate it on that day after All Saints Day, so November 2nd. And so that's when it was designated on on the day, November 2nd, is All Souls Day. Now, Cluny is in France, correct? It it still is, yes. Yeah. It's also a bistro in that suburb of Cincinnati. That's right, yeah. <laughs> um, the Cluny Bistro. Anyway, uh, why, though, what, what 
what is the why purgatory? No, why no. place why place the feast of all souls uh, on the second uh, when we have November first as the feast of all saints? I mean, I, I presume that was intentional. Great question, Father Colin. That's why you're very general. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> if you can answer it, you can be bishop. No, I'm asking. I'm asking oh. the question. Oh, you don't. Oh, you don't know well, the you, had a, you actually had a whole triduum that way. You had um, the because they would also celebrate uh, the eve all. All Hallows, something you'll recall and probably think of as Halloween, mm-hmm. and um, with its roots in Ireland, which well, Ireland, yes, other places as well, but Ireland certainly celebrated that. So you had All Souls, but it was just a grouping, as far as I know, um, well, of the three of yeah. the all those who had gone before us. I guess, way. like many things, we can attach meaning meaning to some of these feasts, but it seems to me that if we celebrate all the saints in heaven um, on the first. Uh, and we get done with that celebration, then we say, then we pray for all those who we want to be in heaven, uh, all souls who are in purgatory. Your grandparents. Well, no, I think they are. They did. Oh yes, bit. that's right. Remember We've been that. There, yes. In heaven. But also, too, I mean, how much of it has to do with? Uh, now, don't yell at me or anything. But how much does it have to do with nature? Oh. <laughs> no, in, in the sense of choosing the second of November, where really the death of nature begins to set in with the, the changing of the leaves and the falling of leaves and the cold weather. I mean, this is a time... For, for that usually doesn't happen until the 4th of November. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess it has nothing to do with nature. <laughs> like, I've always made that association, but evidently I'm going to keep that to Beautiful. myself. <laughs> in the Catechism, in section 1022... We hear these words, each man receives his eternal retribution in his immortal soul at the very moment of his death, and a particular judgment that refers to his life to Christ, either entrance into the blessedness of heaven through a purification or immediately, or immediate and everlasting damnation. At the evening of life, we shall be judged on our love. Who said that? Which saint? St. John of the Cross. That's right. That's because I just pointed out. (laughs) He's looking at the footnotes. In any case... uh, you know, there was a lot of confusion, I think, after the council. As Wait, to, is there a prize for me getting the answer? No, because you just read the you read it off my notes. No. Um, what about the experience of the church as its teaching on the final judgment, uh, particular judgment, uh, heaven, hell, purgatory? I mean, how do we teach these things in a way today when uh, people think they have endless options? I mean, have you had a chance? When was the last time you had discussions with your parishioners? on these topics or do you avoid them no no well with the second graders it it was interesting that of course anymore at funerals we they everyone automatically springs to heaven i mean we have no doubt they're in heaven so i was out to dinner with some with the merry widows and uh the whole question of purgatory came up and this was just about a week ago as a matter of fact Mm -hmm. but besides that if um you get the wonderful publication, the St. Augustine Bulletin, you'll find a fine article on purgatory this very past week. Written by you, or did you plagiarize Well, it? now that you mention it, it was written by me. Oh, and, okay. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Copies available for sale uh, in the well, lobby following later, this performance. Later on, yes. yes. Can you summarize in like 15 words? Yes. Thank well, you, I know. <laughs> the church, I'll summarize what the church, I believe, says on purgatory, and that is, you know, we get all stuck up, well, what's purgatory like? Where is it? How long do you have to stay there? Is it all fires and flames? And it's actually just a recognition that in heaven, uh, we will be sharing in perfection. Well, we're imperfect here, and heaven has no sin. So 
in us leaving this world, perhaps some of us will still have some little venial sin or major sin, and no sin can hitch a ride on our souls into heaven, and therefore there's a purifying, there's that purging. Now, I would suggest to our radio audience and to the people at the table with me, (laughs) uh, John Henry Newman wrote a beautiful poem called uh, the dream of Gerontius. And as you'll recall from your Greek, Gerontius simply means old man. So it's a dream of an old man who's died. And uh, quickly, he rushes to the throne, to the light he sees, but he's not ready to receive it yet. So he's scorched by it. So he's laid into the penal waters of, um, of purgatory. And there he rests and there he's healed until he's ready to enter into. So I, so purgatory isn't a scary place. It's not a frightening place. It's a place of purification. And be that in a nanosecond or be that over a stretch of time, who knows. Um, but it's for all for good because it's God showing us his mercy and compassion even after uh, the regular time of this earth. It's kind of like that overtime we get. So it's correct to say from purgatory, there's only one way to go. Uh, if you get to purgatory, and that's there's all I'm one going way to for, go. I'm a low bar person, so, and you're going to have... So, why, so why bother praying for people in purgatory? Why do we do that? Well, because the process of, 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 of anytime we're, we're being purified, uh, it's not a pleasant process. I mean, if you know, if you go on a some kind of a cleanse or a... a <laughs> Uh, colon cleanse. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can't do that. But uh, some kind of a, you know, anytime we're purifying our lives, uh, it's it's fasting. Uh, it's not a pleasant process. It often involves a certain amount of pain, and that's why we're we're as Catholic Christians, we're asked to pray for our faithful departed, uh, the souls in purgatory. Which I had mass this morning with Mother Teresa's sisters and and one of the uh, women attending mass. There uh, prayed for that. I think we tend to forget that we we are called to pray because it was well, you said father chris that you know we, when we are experience this purgation it is a, a, a confirmed reservation we're going to heaven but there's been some delays so where and did this poor souls in purgatory come from why are they poor or the council of florence and trent which i know father me you were an observer at at least trent <laughs> um, but we could get back to that because we're going to take a commercial break thank you this uh, episode of the Bishop and the Vickers, we're talking about uh, issues of uh, during November as we pray for our faithful departed, uh, the poor souls in purgatory. Uh, we speak of heaven, hell, uh, purgatory, the last judgment, particular judgment. So this whole topic and and um, Father um, uh, Kirst had spoken about, why do we call it the poor souls in, in purgatory? Where was the origin? Any historical background that anyone's aware of? I don't know about the historical background. I just think uh, it, it comes from the idea that, again, as I mentioned, when we're purging ourselves, when we're going through a purification process, that that isn't always pleasant, and that and that uh, uh, we and we've attached that word "poor souls" to uh, those souls that are going through that process because um, when you purify something, it involves a certain amount of pain. But again, I think sometimes we're, we're our own worst enemy because we're trying to use. Uh, uh, temporal and spatial language to d- describe that which is beyond space and time. So we use words like pain and and time in purgatory and and all that, which isn't isn't accurate at all because there is no time as we know it. 
in purgatory, but there is a degree, there are degrees. I think when we talk about time in purgatory, it's reflective of our understanding that, that we all die with certain, in certain states of holiness, certain degrees of holiness. Uh, uh, some of us are more attached to imperfection and things that are inconsistent with life in heaven than other people. Mother Teresa, uh, uh, from all, you know, was less attached to um, sin and and things that are incomp- incompatible with heaven than I am. So we would say that I, if I make it to purgatory, will spend more time in purgatory than Mother Teresa. Although that's completely inaccurate Boy, because there is no time. Well, but in another way, it's very accurate when you say that. I tell how you. hard is it? How hard is it for you to say that about me? Wow. <laughs> You know, another way of looking at poor souls, it's almost a term of endearment, I think. You know, it's not poor souls and, and even necessarily suffering. It might be like poor Father Connell. We might use that term at times. Okay. And, but I, I th- suppose part of it, if there is a suffering, it uh, almost could be a, equated to the suffering of a child on Christmas morning waiting to open their Christmas gifts and their... There's the excitement, there's uh, not anxiety, but just that excitement of what is to come. Actually, that's beautiful. It is. Mm-hmm. No, I mean it. I know I'm shocked. There is a suffering for a little kid waiting to get down there and, and, and get the, 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 the gifts and to see what. And so if you know that you're going to enter into that light of heaven and uh, you know that, I mean, there's that, that anxiousness uh, to be there. So it's that anticipation. It's that excitement. Isn't that one of the uh, understandings of purgatory to try to relate to people uh, is for the person who is experiencing the, the purgation, it's, it's a sense of profound regret that in one's life uh, the opportunities for grace uh, that God makes available that the individual chose for whatever reason not to receive um, and that there is, and when one is anticipating, as you said, with anxiety, but there's also regret. And uh, until one sees God face to face, which we would call the beatific vision, which I think you might want to speak about, uh, Father, me. My, my experience, your experience of the beatific, of the beatific vision. vision <laughs> uh, they so see God as he is face to face, as we pray in uh, the Eucharistic prayers. Um, but... What about the issue of particular judgment versus last judgment and the end of the world? Sometimes people are confused about that. Um, that you know, they, they, there are many things that can discourage people today, natural disasters, uh, just the, the disunity at times, even in the church. And people are saying, is this the end times? Maybe we need to clarify end times, particular judgment, last judgment. Um, now, I don't know if you feel that you're experiencing all of this at the same time, but uh, what might... What might insight any of the vicars would have on on these? Well, you mentioned um, particular judgment just a moment ago, um, and the final judgment, of course, is when Christ comes again in all of His glory and and um, separates the the sheep from the goat goats, and we rise bodily, uh, which I think is something very important for people today to remember. Because again, we maybe we've talked about this in a previous show, but. The body today in death, uh, I think it, we're beginning as a society to to not appreciate uh, as much the, the body in death. And so even you hear Catholics saying, I don't care what you do with my body. I'm not there anyway. Well, th- that's really not quite true because, yes, your soul is gone, but that body is you uh, as well. And one day 
when Christ comes in all of his glory, that body will be resurrected as Jesus's body was, and there will be a unification again with, with the person's soul. And so I think we really need to kind of refocus on that in terms of why we treat the body or why we're called to treat the body in death with great respect and honor, uh, and, and, uh, and even for Catholics, uh, who I think have at times forget that, that we are both body and soul that will be reunited in the final, uh, in the final judgment. And, and that talk of a particular judgment, the, there is another option in there that is hell, and uh, we do believe in our church that there is a hell. We don't teach that anybody is there. We don't have the census lately from there, but that mm-hmm. it, that is a real possibility for us. I have a so, list. <laughs> someone who has uh, absolutely rejected God and everything about God and lived a life commensurate with that hatred of God. Uh, one of our, our priests who will remain nameless has an interesting theological opinion about that, and it's, it's one that flows from the mercy of God, his goodness, and his desire for our union with him for all eternity, is that what would uh, prohibit God in the life of a person who has completely rejected and hated him and lived in a way commensurate with that, from at the moment of that person's death, giving that person one more shot, that you get you get a chance right now at the moment of your death, God comes to you and says, okay, here's your last shot. Do you choose me or not? Here's the fullness of love and life. Is that what you want or not? Again, that's that's a nice theological opinion, but hey, would that be in the nature of God to give people that shot? Well, you're keeping with that of that opinion, if, if anyone has read the, the book uh, by C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, essentially that is uh, a theme that permeates it. It's not really a clear-cut explanation of purgatory, but in the end, not to give the, the book away, but primary sin that um, people are guilty of is pride. And perhaps at that very end, if someone who has lived their life as if they are the center of it, because the church teaches Immediately after death, the souls of those who die in the state of mortal sin descend into hell where they suffer the punishments of hell, eternal fire. The chief punishment of hell is eternal separation from God in whom alone man could possess the life and happiness for which he was created and for which he longs. So if that opportunity was there, if someone has led a life of self-centeredness, are they capable of that? Father me, you were about to comment. Well, Perhaps one way of looking at hell, too, and just as this conversation is developing, is what if um, those in hell, of course, again, as Father Connell had mentioned before, we think of everything in space and time, but it's not so much a place or a space. They are in the presence of God, um, and God never quits loving any one of us, but perhaps in our own lives we've been put into a relationship where uh, we, even though this person loves us, we have somehow committed such a wrong or such things that we don't want to be in that presence. We don't, we almost wish that the other would hate us as opposed to love us. So I don't, uh, perhaps hell isn't so, isn't a punishment in the sense of a place of, uh, fire, or there is a spiritual uh, fire or suffering, but it's brought on not by anything God's doing, but by um, the very thing that we've chosen not to love and to be there in the presence of that one we have chosen not to love. So I heard one of our other brother priests did ask that question in a homily, what if heaven and hell are the same place? For someone who wants to be with God, 
what better eternity is there than being with God? For someone who doesn't want to be with God, what worse destiny could be there be than to be with God for all eternity? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope that person isn't currently sitting in this room. <laughs> um, I think as we, um, it's interesting that p- people speak about, uh, you know, the judgment of, of God, and, and we at this time have to really stress the importance of God's mercy and his forgiveness. Um, as we hear again in the Catechism, the Eucharistic liturgy and the daily prayers of our faithful, the church implores the mercy of God, who does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And I think that's the beauty of the sacrament of uh, reconciliation. I think all of us uh, have heard confessions where people have felt they were unworthy of God's love and mercy. And then to, re- to hear those words that they are forgiven is a reminder that God wants us to be with them. The words of Jesus, I've not come to condemn the world, but to save it. And as a church, it falls upon us as, as shepherds and, and the listening audience and the, the, the Catholic faithful to, remind, uh, to be reminded of God's gift of his mercy because he wants to be with us. In the... Um, the canon of the, the first Eucharistic prayer, we hear these words, and it might be uh, appropriate for us to, uh, to end this episode of the Bishop and the Vicars. Okay. We, um, Father, accept this offering from your whole family. Grant us your peace in this life. Save us from final damnation and account us among those you have chosen. As we uh, take a break and then we'll come back, we might reflect upon the, the ways that we can uh, speak to to our faithful about uh, God's love and mercy and as we reflect on the example of those who've gone before us. Welcome back. Uh, this is Bishop Daly and the Vickers, Father Curse, Father Connell, and Father Me. And we're speaking about, uh, as we are in this month of November, the tradition we have to pray for our faithful departed, uh, we, we offer Mass. Sometimes you're at Mass, and you know this Mass is offered for the pose of the soul of Mary Moriarty. Um, where did that come from? And, and When did she die? Uh, three weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'll defer to Father Me on the history of Mass stipends and offering Mass. But it, it, just, it, uh, it just goes to our understanding that that the souls in purgatory are, uh, benefit from our prayers uh, that um, as they are going through this purification process that they are uh, they're aided by our prayers um, and that's why we have that that tradition at the cathedral the mother church of the diocese we have uh, we ask people to submit names of, of their loved ones who have died um, <clears throat> and we place those uh, names on our altar during the month of November the entire month of November and uh, at, at, at Mass throughout the week, we, de- we designate uh, one or more Masses for all souls. And we mention uh, and pray for all the souls whose names uh, rest on our cathedral altar during the month of, of November. That's in addition to uh, praying throughout the year where people will call in and ask to have a Mass said for a loved one who has died. And uh, we, we do that, again, as a, a recognition that the souls who are in purgatory uh, benefit from our prayers. And it's important that that the formal mass intention is really the intention of the priest who is presiding at the mass. Correct. Each person who's gathered there for that Eucharist can have their own personal intention. Right. So just because father's been asked to pray for Mary Moriarty, uh, you can go to that mass and pray for uncle Mike who mm-hmm. has passed on. So each person has their own intention as they come to mass. And then the priest has that special intention that's been requested by someone. So, 
I think it's always important to remember, even in praying for the dead and um, in this month of November, where that's uh, so significant to us as Catholics, is it really all goes back to the incredible mercy and compassion of God. I mentioned uh, during the break that certainly in high school, we, um, we studied some of the the Puritan writers in that, and one of them was Jonathan Edwards. And one of his great quotes was, um, God holds man over the open pits of hell much as man holds a spider over a fire, and he is angry and much provoked. And so there's one part of the Christian tradition that's all about the anger of God and the judgment of God, while truly if one... uh, imbibes of the Catholic spirituality and theology and culture. It's all about mercy, the mercy and compassion of God. I mean, that goes back, or that can be found as well in the devotion of the sacred heart, you know, uh, Christ pouring out his love uh, himself for us. So I think when in praying for all the souls and in praying for those who have gone before us, it's always, even though, uh, we may be focusing on these individual ones that have gone before us. It's really a focus as much, really more, on the mercy and compassion of God. It's an expression of trust in God's mercy. It's also trust in in our brothers and sisters in Christ that when we come to the end of our lives and lie in death, the church is going to pray for us too. Uh, They're going to continue praying for us. So as we pray for people who have gone before us, we know that people after us are going to pray for us when we've come to... uh, our earthly demise. We, uh, and recently there was an article about uh, the church in Belgium uh, and uh, how uh, the Brothers of Charity, I believe, have uh, 15 psychiatric hospitals in Belgium and uh, how the Holy See, the Vatican, has uh, told them to stop doing uh, euthanasia. And uh, they have defied uh, Rome on this, saying that they are accompanying people to, to their death, their death by choice. Um, and remember, it's a psychiatric hospital. And um, this movement of euthanasia, which has gripped so often the, uh, the Western world, um, where people see any element of suffering as to be uh, completely avoided, um, and yet, as we've talked about being with people when they are ill and suffering, even dying, I, I'm afraid that this movement of euthanasia eliminates anyone's opportunity to perhaps experience the mercy of God in those final days, which is a grace for that. And, uh, but I think that you know, when we speak of these issues of, of um, praying for the dead, it, it is an opportunity, as Father Mies said, to really reflect on, as, and also Father Chris, the gift of God's mercy. We are a church uh, that is entrusted with this mission and how essential that is. Yeah, I um, I'm not. I uh, think we're coming to uh, the end here, uh, Bishop. I know you usually uh, pray at the end, but uh, if I could, uh, if you would, sure. As uh, the as the rector of the Cathedral, the Mother Church the of the Mother Diocese, I, I, there there are two prayers from John uh, Car- Henry Cardinal Newman, who uh, about uh, about dying and death, and uh, the first is a, a daily prayer that he used uh, as he looked forward uh, to that time, and then. Also, a prayer for death, and so if you, I'm yes, please, I'll, I'll, I'll conclude with the final blessing. All right, so this is a, a prayer that he used for a daily prayer. May God support us all the day long, till the shades lengthen and evening comes, and the busy world is hushed, and the fever of life is over, 
and our work is done. Then in his mercy, may he give us a safe lodging and a holy rest and peace at the last. And then Cardinal Newman had this prayer for a happy death, which uh, really is all of our prayers. O my Lord and Savior, support me in that hour in the strong arms of your sacraments and by the fresh fragrance of your consolations. Let the absolving words be said over me and the holy oil sign and seal me and your own body be my food and your blood my sprinkling. Let my sweet mother, Mary, breathe on me and my angel whisper peace to me and my glorious saints smile upon me that in them all and through them all I may receive the gift of perseverance and die as I desire to live in your faith, in your church, in your service, and in your love. Amen. The Lord be with you and with with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you and God bless.